श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय ओ भक्त वृंद की जय ओ प्रेम आनंदे गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन यू कैन कम लो क्लोजर मेक रूम फॉर पीपल दैट विल कम अप सो Thank you. It's nice to be here in uh, Grass Valley. Seems like a well-named place. <laughs> a lot of grass here. I thought <laughs> I thought maybe we should bring some cows, but they might ruin the harvest. <laughs> And I don't know if we could drink the milk. It's not that I'm against intoxication by any means. I'm quite indulgent in that regard, but that requires some explanation. I would, I would imagine this is, of course, the the center of the whole of the Bhagwat, uh, uh, the feeling of the Bhagwat. It is a feeling, and it's a feeling that has a foundation in philosophy. And that feeling is one, certainly of intoxication. It's spoken of about directly in in, in that way, and in, in uh, one of the opening three stanzas. And for those of you who aren't familiar, I'm speaking about uh, the sacred text called the Bhagwat, Srimad Bhagwat, Bhagwatam, the Bhagwat Purana. It's a, it's um. One of the sacred texts of the East, and among them um, that are from India, that are thought to have been authored or edu- edited, com- compiled um, by the legendary uh, Vyas, which literally means compiler, a rishi, a knower, uh, an experiencer. Um, Uh, among them, this particular text is thought to be his most mature contribution. Samarina Nusmrata Bijeshtitam is said that he had compiled so many texts, and in 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 this way, sharing his insight, knowledge, wisdom, experience, really, that he was feeling still not quite satisfied, and his guru. Appeared and told him, "Samadhinanusmrutadvijeshtitam, a very qualified person, you should sit in a trance of meditation, samadhi, and uh, contemplate the uh, the idea of 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 love." That knowledge ends in love. You have given so much knowledge. But consider this is more or less what he said: knowledge ends in love. Knowing is, or loving is, a kind of knowing. That is, or I should say, loving is kind of pregnant with knowing, and it's a kind of essential knowing that uh, doesn't include the the uh, carrying or attaching to ourselves or bearing the burden of. Of information or 
or non-essential knowledge. Hmm? Uh, when you love, you know what to do. Hmm? And, and uh, love is a kind of ignorance at the same time. Hmm? It's, a, it's a kind of a... It means it's a, it's a turning off of non-essential uh, knowledge and the burden of thinking that I will know comprehensively um, in, a, in a passive mode. If you will, love is in an active mode. It's actually a verb. Hmm. Um, I suppose knowing is too, but knowing takes on more of a passive connotation, kind of you could know about something, but not experience it. Love speaks more about experiencing it, entering into the the um, well, the experience of the thing. You could know, for example, everything about color. Everything that makes up color, let us say the color red, how many photons and what uh, components of light and all the physical properties of color, of the color red. But if you had not seen the color red and said, oh, that's red and experienced it, how much would you know about it? So the rishis, like Bias and so forth that I'm speaking about, they were deep experiencers and his guru told him that really you have not spoken enough about, about loving and uh, you've given so much knowledge, but as I say, the end of knowledge is to love. It is stated like this in the Gita, which is a, a famous text also, Bhagavad Gita. In the ninth chapter of the Gita, uh, 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 Sri Krishna states, Raja Vidyam, that I'm going to speak about the king of knowledge. And uh, if you go through the chapter, it concludes with Manmana Bhagavad Bhattu. Namaskuru, so forth. It says that basically that the end of knowing is is loving. Hmm? Love, it said, knows no reason. Hmm? There's a good reason to believe that idea. We see it practically in everyday life. People fall in love and and they cast reason to the to the side. That's not usually a good idea. Hmm? But should we do away with love then altogether in the name of reason? Reason is such a such a a a a, a kind of a, a stifling type of um, guide under which to proceed. Uh, if we proceed, that means to say, under the guidance of reason, um, then we proceed with caution. You follow? Just like now you're listening to me with some caution. <laughs> uh, if I'm successful, <laughs> then I'll be able to arrest your your reason power and that, that futile exercise, really, for arriving at comprehensive knowing, the knowing that will satisfy you. Hmm? What is the use of knowledge? Only as much as it makes us happy. Knowledge informs action, an action by which we can become perfectly happy. That's what we're interested in. Hmm? Again, loving is is knowing. But we 
listen without reason. If I can arrest your reason, then I can, then you can, then I can go into your heart. Hmm? And I, a, a saintly person, really, has to speak two languages. They have to speak the language of love, hmm? and they have to be able to translate it into reason. Hmm? For our sake, because as humans, it's said we speak the language of reason. We are supposed to be rational animals. It's often thought that that would distinguish us from the less complex forms of life. But, of course, from the school of the Bhagavad and Vedanta, Gaudiya Vedanta, this kind of love Vedanta, Bhakti Vedanta, we think that the human life is distinguished not from the less complex forms of life merely by the fact that it has intellect and it can reason, hmm? but rather that it, it, can, it can love and it can reason thereby about the limits of reason. Hmm? And it can engage in, a, in a, a methodology that transcends reason, a transrational method, if you will, that will afford a kind of knowing that reasoning never will. Hmm? Oh, just like, again, if you want to analyze an apple and all that it's constituted of with your intellect, how much will you know what, what, it, what an apple is and what will you know about an apple without knowing what it tastes like? Mm-hmm. So, so, so love doesn't answer to reason. That's a problem in the world in one sense, but does that mean that we should forego love and live a reason-ruled life alone? Shall we erect um, an altar and place reason there? Hmm? Certainly uh, not. You're correct. (laughs) I would agree with you. Thank you. Um, Rather, we think that as there is love that is not well-reasoned, so there is love that is well-reasoned. Hmm? So as I said, this this particular book, this book in particular, is a book about love, about intoxication. Love is intoxicating, but it's, it has a foundation, a philosophical foundation, that uh, if we look at it carefully, we see that it's speaking about what we might call wise love. Love is so... Um, uh, close to us, it's so much. Well, we, you know, our heart beats for that. We could say, and if the heart doesn't beat, then what is our life? We move really in pursuit of love. We cannot rest until we find love, and when we find love, then we can only rest for a moment. And love has a movement of its own, an orbit of its own, so to speak. That is also disconcerting, but one that we don't want to get out of at the same time. It has its ups and downs, um, like a roller coaster, but you don't want to get off. It has a movement, as they say, of its own. Mm. And and it that movement serves to retire the necessity to think mm, and to know with the head and to reason and so forth. And so we sense as human beings, that a re- if, we're, that if we look deeply at it, I believe, that a reason-ruled life may be better than a, a life that's not ruled by reason at all, but the full exercise of reason leads us to believe that a reason-ruled life is also 
incomplete, imperfect. It's a very stuffy uh, kind of a life in which we would proceed with reason as our guide, with caution. I'll give you an example. If you go, let's say you go to the store and you want to buy something to eat, then sometimes you look at the label, right? Because you want to know what's in it. So before tasting it, you're kind of proceeding with caution and you want to see what's there. Before letting your heart go to it, and your tongue to taste it and so forth. You want to, you want to know about it. Now, when you're with friends mm-hmm. and people you love and so forth, and they offer you something to eat, then you don't question what's in it, mm-hmm. because you're at home mm-hmm. and you're not proceeding with caution. Mm-hmm. The homeland of the heart is one in which we can proceed without caution. Mm-hmm. This is what's talked about in the Bhagavad. This is what the book centers on. A land that is not ruled by reason, neither by senses. We may differentiate ourselves from less complex forms of life because we find an addition or an increment that is greater and noticeable of, 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 of intellect than what we find in less complex forms of life, like among the birds and the animals and so forth, the beasts. They tend to be ruled, we see, by their senses. They don't have the problems we have, <laughs> the, 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 the philosophical problems we have. They don't have the question, why? Oh, it's terrible. Hmm? Why is a terrible question. Why? <laughs> because it, 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 it cannot be answered by the very thing that's troubled by it, by our reason the why of ourselves. Hmm? The why of ourselves is is that unit, that aspect of our being that is, is uh, has value. You understand what I'm saying? It gives value. Consciousness gives value and meaning to things that otherwise would have no meaning. Hmm? Do you follow me? Matter wouldn't matter if it didn't matter to you. If matter mattered independent of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would would care about it? (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Yeah, so... um, So why is is a huge and troublesome question for humans as troublesome as we try to answer it with reason? Alone, some reason is good, but reason alone unto itself will be problematic. Why? Why is that so? Well, in less complex forms of life, this question why doesn't arise. The how question arises. How to eat, how to sleep, how to protect oneself within reason, or (laughs) to some extent, uh, how to mate, these are questions of, of uh, in less complex forms of life, among the beasts, let's say, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend, how to do these things. And we find that nature has an answer to those questions that is tailor-made for every species. Every species, for example, 
has a built-in system of protection. So how to protect yourself? If you're a skunk, you raise your tail. Hmm? If you're a tiger, you you know you you growl and uh, and, uh, and 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 pounce and so forth and take the you know, the best defense is a good offense type of approach and and so you know all the you know all the species of nature hmm, other than the human species we find a built-in system hmm, for protection in other words nature is answering a question that nature can answer it's a natural question how shall i protect my body hmm, and my biological sense of life hmm? How shall I protect that? The question arises, it's an, it, and it pertains to nature hmm? and biology. So nature answers it. The other question, like how, what shall I eat? How shall I maintain my body and be healthy? This is another natural question of the natural world. So nature can answer that question. How about mating? Okay, that's also as glorious as we think it is at times. It's a question of the natural world. So nature answers the question we see in all species of life. There's a system, when to mate, who who to mate with, and what are the consequences. Hmm? And you've got to deal with them and so forth. And uh, sleeping is another question. And, well, you know, the animal kingdom pretty much figured it out how to sleep. We, on the other hand, as humans are very bewildered about these things. <laughs> but we call ourselves the more complex forms of life. <laughs> how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend ourselves. These are huge questions for human society. But I would venture to say that the reason that they are such troublesome questions that are so easily and readily answered by less complex forms of life they are more difficult uh, and troubling for us despite our advanced uh, intelligence by comparison because our intelligence is meant to ponder another question that doesn't arise in the animal kingdom, and that is the question of why. Hmm? Our intelligence is meant to ponder why to a point and then short out, hmm? so to speak. Why means... Why am I? That is a different quality of question. Why am I? What is the purpose? What is the meaning? Why am I here? Hmm? Why is a question that nature cannot answer because nature is not asking the question. Hmm? Who's asking the question? That is what comes to the surface, to the fore in human life that really makes us different from the other species of life. The fact that we are really a unit of consciousness rather than matter in a particular dress, if you will, of, of matter that we find ourselves in, um, whether it be an animal dress or a bird dress or a plant dress or a human dress. According to the Bhagwat, the book I'm speaking about, it's said that that uh, that matter steers consciousness, but it doesn't 
it doesn't give rise to it. it it's 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 not it's it's ontologically different. It steers consciousness means like if you're in a Volkswagen and you're in a BMW, then your car is different. The driver is the same, let us say. Hmm? Has the same capacity to step on the gas, to step on the brake, but the car limits how fast you will go or how well you will brake. Hmm? So in this analogy, I'm saying the self hmm, is a unit of consciousness and matter that surrounds it for certain reasons. I don't know if we'll get to that, but we call it karma. Uh, steers consciousness. Hmm? You understand? To some extent. Hmm? So according to the vehicle that consciousness finds it in, self in, it can go faster or it has to lag behind and go slower. And go faster here means that it can understand itself. Hmm? The driver can know itself. Hmm? Human life affords us that opportunity. Indeed, it's undeniable we're talking about it. We're here gathered to, to discuss something along these lines. Why am I? Hmm? What is the meaning? We think there is meaning and purpose to life and value. Hmm? Indeed, all human beings conduct themselves in this way. Even those who argue that there is no meaning to life, hmm? only atoms are bumping up against one another, strive to assert that this is the meaning of life, hmm? that life has no meaning. They're pressed to write books about it and so forth. So we are, we are, we are actually, according to the Bhagavad, units of meaning, value. Hmm? In other words, we posit value on matter. You follow me, right? Hmm? Otherwise it wouldn't matter. So we're, we're units of value... Um, and value is a quality question it's not a quantity question hmm? so why what is the quality of my life hmm? what am I about what is, is there an overarching purpose and so forth these questions arise universally in human society hmm? Freud called it he was stunned by it the oceanic experience my patients come and they speak to me some of them about the oceanic experience, he called it, that they feel that there's, there's more to life. He said, I can't quite get that. <laughs> I think he must have got it a little bit, but, uh, but yes, the more we would say the more human we are, the more this question about more, there must be more than what meets the eye and the mind. We feel that way. That's why in human life we try to do more Fish don't try to fly in the sky, not too hard or not too high. They do jump a little bit. And birds don't try to go to the bottom of the ocean. Hmm? We try to fly high in the sky. We try to go to the bottom of the ocean. We try to do everything that every species of life can do. Hmm? Because why? <laughs> because we feel we should be able to do all those things. The Bhagavad says, why do you feel like that? Because you, those, those are things that consciousness can do and are limited to according to the steering mechanism they find themselves in. In other words, birds can only fly in the sky and they do a few other things, but 
they can only fly in the sky because they're steered by that particular embodiment. Hmm? And fish to the bottom of the ocean because of that. But in human life, the fact that that the consciousness that's the driver, really, that's really the... Uh, not the vehicle, hmm? is coming to the fore, and it feels itself. It feels like I could do anything. There are no limitations. We feel that there are no limitations. It's not biologically correct to think that. That's wrong. It's erroneous. There's nothing in, for example, if you take the Darwinian perspective... There's nothing in Darwinian evolutionary theory that says that human beings should they have unlimited explanatory power to understand everything. Hmm? Biologically, we're we're really informed just the opposite, that we have limits. Hmm? That's why we're humans. If there were no limits, what would we be? The embryo would become. There are certain limits that are you know packed into it that say that's going to be a human. Hmm? it's going to have certain limits and then a certain scope of possibilities and so forth. Hmm? So biologically we're limited. We think that with the, with the, some take that with the advent of modern science that we are now equipped with unlimited explanatory power, but the history of modern science shows us quite, quite the opposite. Hmm? We, we are at a loss, really, to explain the natural world. Hmm? in the detail that we thought, for example, during the scientific revolution, of, that it was mechanistic, like a clock, objective, concrete, and so on and so forth. Hmm? That, that, that motion requires contact. You understand? Motion, motion requires contact. I touch, it goes. Hmm? Newton found out that, that large things attract small things. And people thought, what are you reintroducing the occult. There's no contact. It's called gravity. You understand? Large masses attract smaller masses. Well, okay, but why? (laughs) Why? That's not explained. Newton thought it will be maybe someday, later. It never has been. We've just kind of like, okay, we go into denial. Okay, okay. And it, you go up the scale, if you go through history of science, you find at certain levels we just deny things, and the, the machine of nature becomes more and more abstract, less and less concrete. Hmm? Um, and what we're left with, really, in one sense, is um, what we really know is that we're conscious. That we know. <laughs> what else we know about the world? It's all kind of a, some kind of intellectual exercise, but actual knowing. That's another thing. Hmm? So, biologically, we have limitations, but we feel as though we have no limitations. That feeling is coming from the fact that we're not biological. Hmm? Consciousness is not biological in its makeup. You follow me? One of the questions that modern science has been able, unable to answer by its own admission is what is the biological makeup of consciousness? From the Bhagavad, we would answer that, first of all, there seems to be a bias to your question. You understand? Who says? 
but it has to be biological in makeup. Somebody told me the other day, the problem with you spiritual people is, is that you can't think freely. <laughs> you try to follow me. <laughs> you, you can't think freely. I said, why not? He said, because first of all, you start with a premise that there's God or a soul. Okay? Number one. Hmm? Whereas in science and naturalism, we don't start with any premise like that. Hmm? And two... You cannot challenge authority. You have your guru, you have to do what he says. You have your, your text, you have to follow it. So you, you can't think, think freely. Now, I replied, among other things, that thinking has its limitations. <laughs> There's no free thinking in its entirety, as I've explained. Hmm? The capacity of the human speaking, biologically speaking, Hmm? is limited, hmm? like every other species of life. Don't think that rats you know, or cockroaches at some point are going to understand something that is a, just a simple problem to humans. To them, it's a mystery that they cannot conceive because they're not biologically constituted in such a way that they can even consider the questions. Hmm? And so, as I say, biologically speaking, the same holds true for human beings. That's the reasonable conclusion. Hmm? And so it's a folly to think that you can think freely, you know, in the full sense of the term, and thereby know everything, let us say. You have unlimited explanatory power to invest it. And secondly, of course, you're wrong in thinking that naturalism, physicalism, or materialism, which are all words for the same thing that constitute expanded notions of the same thing. Materialism means like it's a very smaller idea, and as it doesn't work, we expand it to say, well, it's not just material things, but they're forces too. So we'll call it, call it physicalism, or now we'll call it naturalism. It's getting bigger and more abstract and uh, so forth, including more things and so on, and within it and so forth. Um, so, I say, it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is naturalism. We call it metaphysical naturalism. It begins with a belief that there's nothing supernatural. We believe, we begin with a belief that there's something that's supernatural. And it's you. It's very complimentary. <laughs> you are not part of the natural world. You're supernatural. You have a role in the natural world. And as a supernatural entity, substance, consciousness, you have a role in the natural world to supervise, if you will, the natural world and tend to her in such a way that um, that you won't be raping her and violating her and pillaging her and and uh, and, and, that, and, and that she will then work with you hmm, in pursuit of your realization and experience of the theory in yoga, Vedanta, and spiritual traditions worth their salt, so to speak, that you are supernatural, you are consciousness, you're not matter. Hmm? It's a super idea. Hmm? If there's anything in the world that most resembles God, what would it be? It would be you. Hmm? In terms of you being 
consciousness. We'd have to say, well, like God, but there's some differences too. The difference is that we, we don't know the answer to that question necessarily, and we find ourselves somewhat bewildered by the influence of nature. Yes, it's true. The viewer, the television requires a viewer to have meaning. Right? You have to turn it on. It's also true that the television can take over your life. Right? Then that's a problem. Call it a couch potato. It's a problem. Especially for one half of the family, usually. So, uh, we turn on material nature. We animate matter. We, we lend li- our, our, the life that we are constituted of, which is not biological. Hmm? Yes. Biologically, we have to die, but luckily we're not biological in our makeup. Hmm? Consciousness, as I said, to think, what is the bio- to ask what is the biological makeup of consciousness is to, is to begin with a, with a prejudice with the presupposition that everything is matter. Do hmm? you understand? The best question would be, is there a biological makeup to consciousness? Let's open, let's think freely here. Hmm? Right? I said, so there's as much free thinking in, in spirituality, essential spirituality, hmm? theology to some extent, but more so in mysticism, which has its theological explanations and so forth there's more free thinking or as much we can argue as there is in 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 a non-theistic approach Hmm? and second question is second complaint was what to just go follow through on that in your spiritual traditions you can't think freely because you have to answer to authority guru says no you got to say no and the book says no and so forth and so on that's not true it's not true. What do I mean by that? You look and see. You take the sacred texts that I'm speaking about, for example, the Vedanta. Hmm? And there are many interpretations of that, nuanced interpretations, very rich in their differences. Hmm? They're reading from the same authoritative text, if you will, and, and drawing different Meanings there is a, there is a there is a, a a base agreement amongst the mystics. Even within Hinduism, there are so many different types of uh, approaches to transcendence and notions of what it constitutes. Hmm? They, they think, well, that's a problem. Who's right? What's our answer? They're all right. Hmm? Such is the nature of the subject. You look at it from one side like a valuable jewel. It has many facets. Hmm? By different approaches, we mean you look at it from one way or for another way, it will show itself in different ways. They're all right. If, that is, they all stand on the common ground hmm, of the idea that consciousness itself is foundational and is different from matter. This is the ground of being. We can stand on it. We can sit on it. Quietly, shanti, 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 and rest there, hmm? and love to be, love to exist, and know that I don't have to die, and have no fear. Can you imagine having no fear means no anxiety? Anybody have any anxiety? 
I'm going to a social event tonight. How will it, will it be like? How will I fare? Hmm? To end all that, so troublesome. To end all that, we don't know the extent to which we exist. If we knew, all that would end. So we could love to exist in a real and full sense of the term, but there's also a possibility of existing to love. That means not sitting on the ground of being, but dancing on the ground of being. This is what this Bhagavad speaks about. Dancing on the ground of being. Hmm? It is said about that that realm. Hmm? We're talking about consciousness a little bit. The difference between consciousness and matter. The fact that human life is meant for answering the question why. Human life is the question why. The answer doesn't come from nature. Where does it come from? Why doesn't it come from nature? Because it's not a question about our biological self, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, it's how to defend it. Why? Why am I? That's natural world says, I don't have the answers, but I can show you where you can get them. Material nature pushes in the direction of her own consciousness source, if you will. And a, 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 a beautiful um, manifestation of that is these sacred texts we call it revelation. It's not like some old book, you know, like kind of old Swami, don't you think? It's like pretty far back there, and does it have anything relevant to talk about? Well, it's talking about the nature of being. Hmm? Why? It's answering the question. The question that a human society is, is why? It's the question that consciousness is asking, because I said in human life, consciousness is coming to the fore in that particular vehicle. Hmm? You've got a, you know, a BMW on, on steroids or something. You've got a human body. Hmm? And so what's coming to the fore is not the necessity to eat and sleep as much as why. And as much as we don't pursue the why with our intellect as we should, then we're troubled about how. Therefore, it is said about those persons who were intoxicated by this book Bhagwat and all that it says. Hmm? It says about them that they forgot to eat, they forgot to sleep, they forgot to mate. Hmm? <laughs> what were they? They were preoccupied with why. They reasoned about it. Hmm? And they, re- they reasoned about it and they, and they came to certain conclusions based on their experience. Hmm? They, they, they came to the conclusion that reason has its limits. Hmm? They came to the conclusion that experiential reality is diametrically opposed or different or the antithesis of non-experiential reality. Do you understand what I'm saying? Matter is a non-experiential reality. We are an ex- a unit of experiential reality. What is the difference between experience and non-experience? Huh. I mean, can you measure it? Will experience come out of non-experience? What do you think? Is it logically possible that experience will come out of non-experience? Hmm? Do you think that at any point while playing pool, the eight ball might say, ouch? <laughs> or say, could you put a little chalk on that thing? We don't expect that, do we? We laugh at that. Hmm? It is laughable, but some people are teaching that. 
by way of saying who you are is, is just and the feelings the, 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 the experience that you have is just something in the brain we haven't found it yet but we're going to find it and we press a button and you can have experience and it's the self I'm a self but they're really teaching us the lights are on but there's nobody home there hmm? it just in other words you have to understand neurons of the brain are made of the exact same thing that pool balls are made of they're not made of anything different. There's no different component in there. And they're bouncing around, I guess. I'm not a neuroscientist, but they're, they're firing in there. And they're not going to say, ouch. Something else is saying, ouch. Something else is, that's you. That's, exper- that's subjective experiential reality. And matter is objective, non-experiential reality. And don't try to objectify the subjective, that's a folly. Hmm? You can say, I'm dead, but does it make any sense? Think about it. If I say, I'm dead, you say, well, yeah, you're ridiculous too. That's laughable. Hmm? You know, that is a, called in philosophy a preformative contradiction. Hmm? You can't say that you're dead. Hmm? and ha- expect that, that that's not rational. So to say that consciousness is not foundational is the same thing, because you need consciousness to say. Hmm? Consciousness is not foundational. You cannot deny the primacy of consciousness because it requires consciousness to do that. You cannot get away from it. Hmm? The fact that consciousness is so difficult to define and explain there's no reason to think it is more is, is less tangible or meaningful. It is the, it is the very basis of all meaning. Hmm? The fact that it cannot be defined is that is because there's nothing that it compares to. We define things by comparison. Well, this is like this, and then we can understand. Oh, that's the definition. Okay. Hmm? There's nothing it compares to because the whole of the natural world, if you will, is non-experiential reality. And experiential reality is entirely different from non-experiential reality. Hmm? And the one, experiential reality, cannot come out of non-experiential reality. So they're ontologically different. Hmm? There's a difference between yourself and your brain. Said in the Gita, prakritikaryamanani gunai karmani sarvasa said most things are done by the brain. That's what it says. But it also says, but you're not a brain. Hmm? Many things that we think we do are actually done by the brain. Hmm? But you're not a brain. What the brain doesn't do is produce experiential existence, which cannot be produced. Why? Because experiential reality cannot come out of non-experiential reality, as we've concluded. Hmm? And matter is constituted of non-experiential reality. Matter, is, matter, we know all material things are governed by time and space, right? So if consciousness is, is, is ontologically different from matter, it doesn't arise out of matter, which is constrained by time and space, it means consciousness is not constrained by time and space. That means... It didn't begin at any point, and it won't end at any point. Hmm? And that's us.
We, we better get used to one another because nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> it's a hard lesson to learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of it. <laughs> That's part of it here. Very much a part of it, actually. Because in bhakti, we grow, actually, by, by good company of others. And we can't just take this knowledge and run and hide in a, under a tree with it. It will grow, it will fester, it will foster, it will, it will, it will, it will, the culture of it hmm? requires good, good company. Hmm? So, so, the question why, hmm? these questions, they can't be answered by, by nature, they're answered by consciousness. Consciousness means this, this form of revelation is an exp- expression dealing with the books are dealing with consciousness these rishis concluded the thing worth thinking about or pursuing reasoning about as far as reason goes is what is the nature of consciousness Mm -hmm. they were not very concerned about what is the nature of the natural world so they spoke about it in ways that appear to us in the modern time as if they were uninformed about the natural world Mm -hmm. No, they were not that interested in the natural world. They only saw the natural world as useful in terms of how you could interact with it or think about it such that it would help to foster understanding of the subjective world, consciousness. Hmm? If you study, for example, the Bhagavad, it also speaks about the natural world. If you look carefully, you see it speaks about it in such a way hmm, that if thinking about it in that way it will help you to pers- understand and pursue the idea that you're not part of the natural world. Hmm? You're supernatural. You can have a role, as I said, in relation to the natural world. It's a super role. Hmm? As an overseer and, uh, and, and so forth. And only as much, only as much as you understand, realize, and experience that you're supernatural can you really be a steward of the world, which is such a popular idea today and not exploit and be involved in the pillaging and the raping of the earth, for example, which is, which is a popular theme that we don't want to be part of that. <laughs> Only as much as we've really understood, experienced the difference between ourselves and the natural world can we be such a steward, because at, at the extent that we still are identified with it, misidentified with it, is the extent to which we're going to take from it and feel we have needs and necessities hmm? that are not really intrinsic to ourselves. Hmm? So this book, the Bhagavad, is about all these things. Hmm? Hmm? And it really is about thinking a lot to the point of, okay, i got to stop thinking. Hmm? I've come in touch with the fact that, that, that thinking is not the way of knowing comprehensively. Hmm? Loving is the way. That's irrational. What do I mean by that? Hmm? I mean, not irrational, but it, it would seem that by giving, you would end up with less. Am I right? If you have ten things, ten dollars, and you give away one, you have nine. Hmm? By the math of the thing, if you give what you have you end up with less. But our experience in life is that when we give, 
we grow. We get. We cannot say, I gave. Look what I got. It's over here. But people will look at you and say, you've got something. What is it? Hmm? I want it. <laughs> hmm? They want what they are, what they see in you that is arising out of giving. What is the giving? Ram Krishna, he said once that a salt doll wanted to taste the ocean. What happened? Well, it became salt. The idea being that if you want to understand consciousness, you, you have to be what you are. You have to be, you have to, this is a great challenge. You have to extract yourself from your identification with the objective world and your tendency to objectify the subjective, which is backwards thinking and so on and so forth. That means that you have to become a giver, a lover, not a taker, because as much as we are attached to a material sense of identity, we are at a loss of the fullness of what we are. Hmm? We want to be. We're trying, we're struggling to be. But you are. <laughs> but there's a perception when we identify with matter that we may not be if we don't beat somebody else up. I mean, on some level, if we don't take, we seem to be threatened with the, with the prospect of non-existence, so therefore we struggle for existence. Hmm? And one living being, jivo jiva sijivanam, it's a very Darwinian phrase from the Bhagavatam. One living being is food for another. It's another way of saying it's, there's a struggle for existence. We're struggling for existence, but according to the Vedanta, what we've been talking about, we already be. We already exist. Why are we struggling for the existence? We struggle to know also, and it's thought that knowledge will set you free. But we're already a knower. And we're a lover. This is the conclusion of the Bhagavad about the self. It's a unit of being. It's a unit of knowing. And it's a unit of loving. Sat, chit, anandam. A unit of that. We know that it, that it, from what we've discussed, we know that it exists without beginning. It's not constrained by time and space. If it's not constrained by time, it has no beginning. So you exist. And you won't be constrained by time on the other end of the spectrum. There'll be no end. So you have nothing to fear. That's the theory. <laughs> now, and you know, you exist, you're a unit of knowing, and a unit of loving. Hmm? That's the idea. So now, how how you how you how you understand these things? You have to become, if you will, the consciousness that you are. You have to be the consciousness that you are. The, the, the I don't mean perception consciousness. Here's a light. It's luminous, and it casts light on the wall. The casting of the light on the wall is like the perception that we sometimes identify with consciousness. I perceive things. I'm conscious. I'm aware of things. That's just something that consciousness does. Beyond that, it is luminous in itself. It illuminates other things, but it is self-luminous. We're a unit of self-luminosity. That means light, means knowing, being, and loving. So in Bhakti and in the Bhagwat, the book I'm talking about, what is the method hmm, for 
understanding all these things, it is loving. It centers on the loving aspect. Hmm? And this is very intoxicating. Hmm? I began by saying, I indulge in it regularly. Huh? <laughs> Let me explain. It said in the book, he said this book is like, he said all these books of the sacred texts, of any, they're like a tree of knowledge. Hmm? Amongst them there is one uh, book that is like the ripened fruit. The ripe fruit, it falls to the ground. Hmm? What does that mean? Galitam means fallen. Falam means fruit. Fallen fruit means ripe fruit. And it also means it's easy to get. You don't have to climb the tree and struggle. It comes to you. It comes to you. This book is the ripened fruit of the tree of the Eastern Revelation. Which is a means of knowing beyond what you can know by reason alone hmm? and senses alone. It's, oh, it was spoken by Sukadev, the sage, the rishi, was a naked boy of 16 years old. Hmm? He came in the assembly of the king who was cursed to die in seven days and wanted to know, why am I? What is death? Why do I have to die? Why, what, what should I... How do you solve that problem? It's an existential crisis. Human life, is an, the point is, is an existential crisis. Sugadevit said, answered him in seven days. In seven days. Hmm? The, 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 the metaphor here is that we all have seven days to live. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and one of them you will die. Hmm? What should you do about that? Does it, does it, does it have any... Is it worth thinking about? Hmm? Worth thinking about hmm? deeply. Where do we get the answer? From a naked boy. What do you mean, a naked? Because why he could answer? Hmm? Because he solved the death problem. What do you mean how he solved the death problem? He's naked. What do you mean? He's naked meaning he had no attachment. He didn't know whether he was wearing clothes or not. He saw no difference. You want to be non-sexist? He saw no difference between men and women. It meaning he was bisexual, necessarily. It meant he had... He saw no difference. He transcended gender differences. Hmm? He saw what all beings had in common, hmm? what, they were, what their common makeup was of consciousness. Why is death a problem? How can I say he solved the death problem? He said, well, he's going to die too. Where is he now? Where is that naked boy, Sukadeva, with the bottom? Where is he? Well, no, he doesn't die. He solved the death problem. How he solved the death problem? Why is death a problem? Because you can't take anything with you. And you want it. If you don't want anything... If you don't want anything of the natural world, if you're not dependent upon anything of the natural world, which is the theory, we're independent, we're different than men in the natural world. Spiritual life is the, is the experiment to bring out the data, the consistent data that demonstrates 
the theory. You're different than the natural world. What an extreme. He's walking naked and he has no, he sees no difference between men and women. I mean, that's pretty distanced from the world, isn't it? You want to go walk around naked and see what happens to you. <laughs> I mean, it would be a very, you know, it's a very different experience. He had no attachment. That means he solved the death problem. Because the death problem, again, is, well, you can't take anything with you. And you want things. Not only you want them, you think you need them. You think you'll exist without them. You're, going to, you're not going to exist anymore. So it's a problem. It was, he didn't have that. He solved that problem. There was a biological death, but life is not biological. This is the point. He demonstrated it to a large extent. Hmm? To an extent that's really, really worthy of attention. That someone could be so unmaterially needy and thrive. Not that he was he was fasting and not wearing clothes, and so his his existence was becoming more uh, impoverished. He was becoming richer in his existence, so rich in his existence that everybody assembled on the bank of the Ganges to watch the the king freak out. I'm going to die. Why? What? What's? And try to, you know, give him some, it's the king, the king. Imagine if President Obama just said, I'm going to the banks of the Mississippi. I've got to figure out why I am. And if I don't answer this, I don't care, the whole Middle East can blow up, but why am I? What is the purpose of life? What? Without mean, everybody would go, wow, the president's there. So, this is what happened. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and when the boy walked in, everybody stood up and said, he knows, he knows, he knows, he knows. Shh, let him talk. They could understand. He, he, he was complete. He, he had solved the death problem. And he was thriving. He was eating less, sleeping less, wearing less, worrying less. Not at all. And he was, his existence wasn't diminished. He was so rich and full that he could fill everybody up. Hmm? The whole assembly could be filled with him. Even Vyasa Nard, his own senior, sat, what will he say? What will he say? Hmm? They wanted to hear. Vyasa taught him the Bhagavad. Now Vyasa, his father, wanted to hear what he would say. Goodness. What, such is the nature of the subject. Is it stale? Is it old? Hmm? Is it limited to your thinking? No. It's 